Ephesians 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Are you kidding me? We'll talk about that. In the name of our Lord Jesus, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The interpretive key for understanding this passage was says, found in verse 18. And then there are two commands. One is do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And last Sunday, a fella came up to me and said, I always thought that word debauchery had to do with some, you know, shady kind of sexual thing on the side. No, no. The word debauchery literally means to be wasted, to squander, to deplete, to be spent, to be hopelessly out of control. And we said last week, why do you need to be filled with the Spirit? Because one of the fruit of the Spirit, we said, is what? Self control. And we said, if your life is out of control in regards to time, you just waste time left and right. You need to be filled with the Spirit because it brings about control in that area. What about your body, your mouth? Anybody out of control with their mouths and their, oh Lord, we are at church, aren't we? The Bible says the Spirit of God brings about self-control. How many of you would like to master your emotions rather than have your emotions master you. Yeah, yeah. The Bible says that the Spirit brings about self-control. And then the second command is don't get drunk, but be filled. Drunk literally means to be so saturated with, dominated by, dominated by. And the reason why Paul says do not get drunk with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit, what is he saying? He's saying go get from the Spirit what you go to alcohol for. And what do you go to get from alcohol? It's that famous scene where Jack Nicholson gets up and says what? To Tom Cruise. And you can't handle the truth. Do you know why you and I drink, get drunk, and by the way, many forms of getting drunk? Because we can't handle the truth. We can't handle the truth about our insecurities. We can't handle the truth about what we're afraid of. We can't handle the truth that sometimes our life seems meaningless. We can't handle the truth that sometimes we lack purpose in life. We can't handle the truth because that girl said no or that guy said no. We can't handle truth. So what does alcohol do? It depresses our ability to see truth. So that's what makes us happy. Are you, are you hearing me? How many are sitting there going, yeah, yeah, that's me. Because you and I can't handle the truth and reality, imagine this picture, right? Imagine it's like a monster with fangs and claws about to come upon your house. What does alcohol do? It diminishes your ability to see the monster. It diminishes your ability to live in truth. Basically, you live in denial. How many of us are living in denial? Because we can't handle the truth. Hmm. And I said last week, there are lots of ways to get drunk. Lots of ways to get drunk. Some of us, because we can't handle the truth, we have meaningless sex. Because we think that's going to replace our need for intimacy. Some of us, we pursue destructive forms of escape, like we watch too much TV. I had a girl, a woman in our church, flat out confess to me, that she watched 12 episodes back to back to back to back to back to back of 24. Wow. And I was like, wow, because I did that too. <laughs> I was like, if somebody else is as crazy as I am, goodness gracious. How many of you, know, how many of you have seen the TV show The Wire? Or the Wire? Good Lord, I went through the whole six seasons in like three weeks. Couldn't stop watching it. But you know what? Honest, honest, honest form of escape. Some of us, what do we do? Do you know that, by the way, gambling is a growing problem among men, Christian men? I've seen houses destroyed because husbands gambled away family's money and nobody knew. 
Do you realize you and I have a hard time handling truth about who we are? Our reality? That's why we do anything to numb the pain or, the other way, anything to make us feel alive. So we drink meaningless sex, forms of escape, internet pornography, and the list goes on. But the common sense tells us you can't stay there, right? You can't stay drunk forever. You could try, but you can't stay drunk forever. And the crash afterwards, when you really do have to face reality again, the sense of meaningless and despair, thinking, I, that, that's going to that's gonna help me not think about you, is what? It's even more painful. This is so practical. Do you know what the Spirit of God does? The Spirit of God comes and says, do you need courage to face reality about your insecurities and fears? The Spirit of God, check this out, gives you that courage. Not by diminishing reality, but giving you a bigger picture of reality. Ho! Ho! How many, he says, how you drink to, to, to not deal with your insecurities. The Spirit of God comes and says, I could give you security that nothing in this world can give you. Not by having you not think about reality, but giving you more of your... Are you following me? Are you following me? The Spirit of God comes and says, how many of you need joy and a sense of purpose for living that you're going to get that thing, empty thing? The Spirit of God, Holy Spirit comes and says, gives that to you. And here's that the way the Spirit does it. It doesn't diminish reality. It doesn't help you see less of reality. It makes you see a greater part of reality. You know why? Because it majorly enables you to see who God is and what God is doing in your life. Enables you to see that God defeated Satan's sin and death on the cross and on the empty tomb. It helps you to see that you have a loving God who is in control of history, who is at work in your life to bring about your good and his glory. Can I get an amen? That's what the Spirit of God enables you to see. Not less of reality, but the Spirit of God says, Hey, wanting to see less of reality by numbing that thing? You know that doesn't work. The Spirit of God gives you a bigger picture, a bigger acute understanding of reality. So you become more aware of what God is doing, not less. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's great news, church, isn't it? That's why Paul prays things like this and it's found throughout the Bible. And this is how you grow. This is how you mature in the Christian life. It's not a list of do's. It's when things like this become real. Paul prays for Christians in Ephesus in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. How many of you today need a bigger, fuller picture, reality of hope? Yes. Yes. You can go to that thing to give you a false sense of hope or you can go to the Spirit and say, give me a real sense of what life is all about. Hmm. and his incomparable great power for us to believe. Power is like the work of his mighty strength. How many of you need more power and strength in your life to go through each day? Not some false sense of power that comes from whatever it is that we try. Real power, the Bible says. Verse 21, far above all rule and all authority, dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet, appointing him to be head over everything. The Spirit gives you, <laughs> the joy that we get from the Spirit, as C.S. Lewis said, that it's not some frothy joy. He said, I didn't go to Christianity to make me happy. If I wanted to be happy, I would have gone to a bottle of port to make me do that. He said, I went to the God of the Bible. Why? It's not some frothy, superficial joy, but it's deep-seated, abiding, constant, ongoing joy that comes from realizing who God is, more of reality and truth, and what he is doing in your life. How many of you need this more in your life today? Yeah? Because how many of us, seriously, let's be honest, are getting drunk because we can't face reality? Hmm? Yeah, I'm talking to us Christians. The fullness of the Spirit is not some frothy joy. The kind of joy that comes from the Spirit, listen, the kind of joy that comes from the Spirit is like stars in the night get that get brighter and brighter as the circumstances get darker and darker. Can you picture that? The kind of joy that comes, the kind of hope that comes, the kind of strength that comes from the Holy Spirit is kind of like stars that get brighter and brighter as the circumstances get darker and darker. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 7. I give you joy, and no man can take this joy away from you. What the Spirit of God does in your life is not something that circumstances could take away. Not cancer, not job loss, not illness, not sickness, not anything. Because it's not based on circumstances, but on who God is and what he is doing. Is that good news? 
That's why you and I need the Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does, you're losing your job. You're scared. You're insecure. So you hit the bottle so you don't have to think about it. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes and says, listen, listen, listen. I'm going to show you more of reality so that you don't just see that monster that's descending upon you and your house. But I'm going to show you a fuller picture and show you that there's a God creator who is in charge of all things, who is in control, yes, even of that monster. He is. He is. So that monster that you're afraid of, the monster that makes you insecure, the Holy Spirit says, God is in charge of that monster. He is at work today in your life. He's got you in the palm of his hands, and nothing can pluck you out of his hands. And when that happens, come on now, when that happens, you start to say, what am I scared of? The sovereign Lord of history is in control. Result, peace. What am I so impatient about? Things aren't happening the way I want it. Oh, the sovereign Lord of history who loves me is at work to bring about my good and his glory. Result, patience. What am I so sad for? Because he rejected me? I hit the bottom because I was rejected. Spirit of God says, do you know that the king of the universe says, you are his and he is yours. And he calls you his beloved. So why the heck would what that guy did to me Make me want to go, not think about reality. The Holy Spirit comes and says, my child, you are loved by the Creator. Result, joy. Do you see how the Spirit comes? Do you want that in your life? I do. I do. I'm tired of hitting the bottle. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. You and I all know it's a vicious cycle. It doesn't work. Can we just say, it doesn't work. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Okay. The marks of the Spirit. The marks of the Spirit. So what happens is really being filled with the Spirit. That's what the rest of this passage is about as we continue our journey. And I want you to notice. Look at your Bibles. Look at your Bibles. We're going to look carefully. Notice what is not on the list. Because when most people think of being Spirit-filled, what do they think about? They think about healing or emotional experiences or miracles. And certainly those things occur sometimes. And God does that. And we're thankful for that. But as you look at this list in Ephesians 5, if they're not on this list, they're not the necessary marks of being filled with the Spirit. We look at this list to gauge whether you're truly, fully being filled by the Spirit. Okay? So here's three, four things about what happens, and then we're done today. First of all, mark of being filled with the Spirit, result being filled with the Spirit is relationships of mutual submission relationships of mutual submission verse 21 submit to one another out of reverence for christ and verse 21 introduces the rest of this chapter 5 which details the many relationships that characterize our lives on a daily basis and the bible says listen when you are filled with the spirit instead of emotional high experience all that stuff one of the first things that you'll see whether the spirit is at work in your life is that your life will be characterized by mutual mutual submission in your marriage mutual submission at your workplace and mutual submission in your family with your parents and with your children okay the way that you know you're filled with the Spirit is that there's lasting, copious impact on all of these relationships. Now, what does it mean, mutual submission? Here it is. It's to give up your rights. It's take yourself out of the center. It's to put the needs of others before yours. It's die to self-centeredness, which poisons any relationship. Relationship that is Spirit-filled Relationship with a person spirit-filled is characterized by giving up your rights, taking yourself out of the center, putting the needs of others before yours, and dying to self-centeredness. Now, can I ask you a question? If you were in a relationship like that, would that relationship work? Answer, church. <laughs> that would work, wouldn't it? Can you imagine a relationship where two people are like, oh, no, 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 honey, it's about you. Oh, it's about you. No, 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 it's not. A, it's about you. No, it's not about I, me, what, what would you like be done? Not my needs, not my desires. What would, can you imagine a relationship that's like that? Yeah, yeah. Mutual submission. Now, can I share something like phenomenally insightful with you guys? This is going to like blow you away. You ready? This is going to like utterly shock you. Like you're going to be like, I never thought about that before. Did you know that giving yourself another person, giving up your rights, Serving someone else's interests ahead of your own. Ability to submit your own concerns for the good of somebody else. The ability to defer your desires to help another person to reach their desires. Did you know that that's not natural? <laughs> Did you know that that's really hard? Did you know that that's not instinctive? 
Why do you think Paul comes and says, you need to be filled with the Spirit? You don't have it in you to act like that in your marriage. You don't have it in you to act like that with your parents and your children. You don't, ha- you don't have it in you to act like that towards your boss. Hello. Can I get amen? Anybody? Amen? And, co- and your coworkers? Oh, my goodness. You see, some of you are sitting there going, she's getting my last nerves. And if she does one more thing. This isn't natural, people. You and I know it. But can you imagine if relationships were like this? Any root, root of any problem in marriage or any other relationship, and I've been a pastor a long time, the root of it ultimately is self-centeredness. By the way, guys, if you're living in a universe where there's only room for one person, can I say that again? Oh, yes, this is some of you. You are living in a universe where there is room for only one person. That's why people around you are miserable. Because your universe has room for only one person. That's a very small universe, isn't it? And there is no room for anybody else. That's why there is no room for your wife. There is no room for your children. There is no room for your coworkers. There is no, and I'm talking about room just time. There is no room emotionally. There is no room time-wise. There is no room physically. There is no room for anybody in your tiny little universe but you. Self-centeredness. Is that a good picture? You and you only. But you know what else? That's lonely. Very lonely. Self-centeredness. You know what's really interesting, you guys? The word submit, it's a military word. Did you know that? It was used of a soldier submitting to an officer. Now, here's the reason why that metaphor is so powerful to me. When you join a military, you, anybody, like veterans, military people, former? Amen. Now, you guys, uh, we have we a have number of folks. Tell me if this is true, okay, because I've never been a part of the military. I don't think they'll let me in, frankly. Okay, here's, here's, <laughs> here's. I'm not going to tell you why I said that, but I don't think they'll let me in. If you're in the military, and by the way, those of you that are in the military, say amen if this is true. You lose a tremendous amount of control over your schedule, over when you eat, over when you take vacations, and over what you like to do. True? Why? 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 Because, why? Check this out. Because in order to be part of a whole, in order to be in concert with your unit, in order to become part of a greater unity, in order to defer a whole lot of, you have to defer a whole lot of your decisions, your wishes, and your desires. Because in the military, if you act by yourself and you're not moving as a whole, it's a matter of life or death. Just like your marriage. just like your relationship. It's a matter of life or death when you say us before me, we before I. That's why it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. Is this hard? Yeah, it is. Now, do you know where you get the power to do that? Because you know me. You know your pastor by now. I'm not going to sit up here and go, so here are the four steps and how you could take yourself out of the tiny little universe. Step number one, recognize that there is a universe. Step number two, recognize that you are in that universe by yourself. Step number three, take yourself out of that universe. You know, I'm not going to do that. What am I going to do? Tell me. What am I going to do? I'm going to tell you about the gospel, right? Because here's what Paul says. He says, submit to one another. Did you catch that? Out of reverence for what? Christ. This is so beautiful. Do you know what that means? Reverence is not scared of. Reverence is awed by. It's to be controlled by. It's to be so wowed by it that you can't help but act that way. For example, look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, 8. Think of yourself. This is what Christ did. The way Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and took on the status of a slave. And he became human. 
Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a, check this out, selfless, non-self-centered, obedient life, and then died a selfless, non-self-centered, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Where do you get the power to do that? Is it when you are blown away and melted by looking at Jesus Christ, who, listen, related to you and I, and this is amazing, in submission, by deferring. I mean, that's just, does it blow you away? Does it blow you away? And the Bible says, unless you are captured by that, melted by that, broken by that, and affected by that, you will never be able to overcome the instinctive, natural, me, 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 me. Second mark of being filled with the Spirit. I'm like cutting and pasting this sermon because I, I want to get to the end here. Is existential praise. Existential praise. What do I mean? Filled with the Spirit, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. When you're filled with the Spirit, you can't help but praise Him. And no, I'm not talking about singing. When you're filled with the Spirit and Christ becomes real to you, it's just like what you and I do when you see something beautiful, amazing. And what do you do? You invite other people to come and share it. And you and I know the joy isn't complete unless you get somebody else to share in that joy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That is the work of the Spirit. When you see something beautiful, your joy can't come in until you get somebody else to go, check that out. I know. Isn't that amazing? And your own joy is tied to their praise as well. The most miserable people on the face of the earth are people who have nothing to praise. Nothing interests them. One little thing ruins their whole day. One little thing ruins the whole movie. One little thing ruins the whole relationship. You're bored. You're cynical, you're pessimistic, you're her. Do we have that slide? (laughs) I'm not going to pick on Debbie Downers among us today. Actually, I will. Okay, so here's 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 the deal, okay? So, so Debbie Downer, oh, maybe not Debbie Downer, but this might be you. This might be you. This might be you. This just might be you. The title of this, uh, this little thing was Get Rid of Stankin' Thinking. And this is you. If you, have, if you suffer from stankin' thinking, look, this might be you. If you don't know what it means to exist, praise. Four, four questions. Uh, one, do you try to find a flaw in anybody? And everybody. You're the type of person who has a critical thing to say about every family member, every coworker, or every stranger that crosses the path. There is a difference between having an honest opinion and just being a hater. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Let me ask. So do you live up to the ridiculous standards that you hold other people to? Okay, second quality. You have random outbursts of hostility. Do you overreact to everything? I know the waiter brought you lukewarm soup, but gosh gosh darn it. Did he deserve to get cussed out like he murdered your parents? Does the slightest criticism at work from your spouse or send you flying off the handle and lead to damaged property? If this is you, you might have a problem. Third, do you refuse to let anyone have a good time? Do you always have to discuss the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan or worldwide famine or drowned puppies over drinks at the bar? I'm just reading this article, by the way. That's all I'm doing. And she says, listen, it's called happy hour for a reason for crying out loud, right? (laughs) We all know horrible things happen in the world, and there are times to discuss these things. However, there are also times just to relax and have fun. Let's be real. Bringing up depressing events during happy occasions is really just your attempt to make everyone else as miserable as you are. Fourth, do you find a reason to hate on everybody's relationship? 
If your friend is happy with a good relationship, do you look for reasons to believe their partner is an undercover loser? Do you try to sabotage your relationship by harping on faults or suggesting that they're cheating on you maybe? And she says, stop, because you might be drenched in haterade and everyone can see it. (laughs) Here's the principle, and I want you to just think about this. The people who praise God the most and the people who love God the most are the very same people who find the most to love and enjoy in the world. Let me say that one more time why existential praise is so important. The people who praise God the most, and I'm not talking about singing, people who praise God the most and people who love God the most and people who enjoy the living presence of God the most are the very same people who look at the world and go, this is a place of wonderful, grateful joy. Even on a human level, when you are full of someone's love, food tastes better. You actually don't mind being a Cubs fan. <laughs> In December, you go, Chicago winter, come on! <laughs> but the very same people, listen, who have nothing to praise, who have nothing to delight in, who have nothing to delight and praise in God, who have nothing to delight and praise, are the very same people who look at the world and go, let me ask you something. Are you somebody who is so filled with the Spirit and awed by who He is and what He has done that you walk out and you look at the world not as a depressing place, of cynicism, pessimism. You look at the place and go on, There's joy here. I want the world to become a gorgeous, praiseworthy thing. Guys, by the way, your pastor, I struggle with this deeply, deeply, deeply. Ask my wife. (laughs) She calls me the angry Asian man. Yes. You know, I just shared that with you because this is how much need the Spirit's life in my life. So please, if you're a Debbie Downer out there today, I am right there with you, okay? After this, let's go get a drink and talk about the war in Afghanistan together. All right, anyway. Um, Can I just show you? Can I just show you? I just a random side verse. Can I just show you something? Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 20, verse 8. You know how I'm showing you this? God has given Israelites direction, right? Direction as they're about to go fight enemy. In this direction, God gives one of the officers. He says, is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? He's talking to the, to, the, to the army of Israel. He's saying, let him go home so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened. Negativity, cynicism is contagious. But so is hope, courage, and love. So my question to you is this, not, yeah, if my wife was just a little bit more, you know, hopeful. Instead of doing that, direct your attention to yourself and go, am I a person of cynicism, pessimism, nothing to praise in the world? (laughs) Or am I a person of hope, of courage, and of joy? Please, don't try to fix someone else before you fix yourself, okay? Let's keep going. We just have two more left. Surging joy. Surging joy is the next one. So always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being filled with the Spirit, the Bible says, is associated with surging joy. But check this out. In case you're sitting there going, oh, I knew it. This is why I don't like Christians. This is why I walk away from the church. Because in your mind, you're going, oh, praise the Lord. Everything's okay. People are dying. I have cancer. But everything. that's not. Humble realism accompanies surging joy. In verse 15, Paul says, be wise, which literally means be down to earth, be realistic, not naive. In other words, this person who is surging joy that is filled with the Spirit is also a person who is humble realism. What do I mean? They're realistic about life. They're able to look at life and gauge it for what it is. They're not living up in the clouds and saying, oh, well. No, no, no. They realize that sometimes God heals, but other times people die and get sick. 
It's not somebody who says, I have rose-colored glasses, and I just look at the world, and there's nothing wrong. It's someone who's able to look at reality and go, even in the midst of all this mess and junk, God is still in charge. That's what this is describing. Humble realism. Now, check this out, though. But where does the surging joy come from? Surging joy comes from the fact that in everything, here's what you realize. He says, in the name of Jesus. And that's so powerful. In the name of Jesus. Give thanks to God in the name of Jesus. Why? The name in the Bible is your character. And what Paul is saying is when the Spirit gets a hold of your heart, it gets you deeper and deeper into the character of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And here's what you see. You see that God hates evil, injustice, death, and suffering that's here. Why? If God didn't, why would Jesus do this? Why is this necessary if God did not hate disease, evil, suffering, sin, and death? God sends his one and only son so that he could rid this world of evil, disease, sin, and death. God didn't create a world of evil, disease, sin, and death. Our disobedience and rebellion unleashed all that into this world. But God says, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to bring about restoration, salvation, healing, and forgiveness. How? Check this out. Through this, through death, through suffering, through the cross. Now, listen. How does that apply to us in terms of joy and everything? When you're suffering, when there's cancer, when there's death, what is the number one question we ask in our minds that robs us of joy? God, do you care? Isn't it? We all ask that. We go there. We go there and say, oh, God, do you care? I'm hurting. I'm broken. Why this trial? Do you care? And where does the joy come from? Not having rose-colored glasses and being in denial. It comes from the fact that the cross was said for all. Answer the question, does God care? If he did not care, this would have been unnecessary. But God on the cross of Jesus Christ shouts to you and shouts to me, I care. I care so much that I sent my one and only son for you. I care more than you'll ever know. And so when we're doubt, when we're doubt, say, God, do you care? Do you even know what I'm going through? The Bible says the cross of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, the deeper and deeper you go into his character, you realize God loves me. I may not know the answer to why this is happening, but I don't have to doubt whether he loves me. Second reason why joy is gone when we suffer is because we ask, is there any purpose to this? Is there any possible purpose to this? Anybody ask that question? Of course we do. What does the cross say? God brings life out of death. He brings salvation out of suffering. And he brings redemption out of rejection. God's purpose on the cross for salvation of the world shouts out to the world when you and I suffer when you and I go through agonizing pain, there is behind it, unforeseen to us, redemptive purposes for it all. And in that, not living on glow night, I don't think about it, in that begins joy that says, you love me and you're at work. How many of you need that today? You don't need pop psychology. You don't need somebody to go, just positive thinking. What you need is to go deeper into the name of Jesus, the character of Jesus, and see what he's done for you. Lastly, great, grateful contentment. Grateful contentment. <laughs> Guys, this I struggle with, okay? This I struggle with. I'm just going to be up for real, okay? One, the, the last sort of, you know, result of being filled with the great grateful contentment it says you are always giving thanks to god in everything can we just be honest how many of us struggle with that just because there are plenty of things where i go i'm not going to be thankful for that bible trivia question do you know what god gets god most angry do you know what bible says the creator of the one universe who scatters the stars in the sky like sands on a seashore. Do you know what gets God most angry? Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Let me show you. And pay attention to what Paul says. 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Do you notice what Paul says? Paul says, the thing that gets God most worked up is what? They did not give what? Say it with me. They did not give what? Thanks to The Bible says, this the Bible says that the root of all godlessness is ingratitude. Number one sin. The thing that's most toxic to the human soul and to the world is ingratitude. And you're going, no, 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 come on. It's got to be rape, injustice, oppression, greed. That the Bible says all of those things come from this root issue, root sin, number one killer, which is what? Say it with me. Ingratitude. No, listen, listen, listen. What is ingratitude? What is ingratitude? And I'm deeply indebted to a pastor who gave this analogy. Listen, even at a human level, any authors here? Any authors here? Authors? Yeah. Even at a human level, when you write a book and use a lot of scholarship and sources that you don't footnote in the book, is that serious? What's it called? What's it called? It's called what? Plagiarism. What is plagiarism? It's a refusal to acknowledge your what? Your debt. Are you checking? Refusal to acknowledge your debt? It's acting like you're the authority, acting like you're the author. Plagiarism, denying your dependence, acting independent, refusing to acknowledge your debt, i.e. ingratitude. Is it legal? No, it's illegal. Take it a step further. Take it a step further. And this is so relevant for today. If you catch someone of another country plotting to overthrow the U.S. government and you catch that person, what do you do to them? Well, you hopefully follow the Geneva Convention and you treat them civilly. You may interrogate them, but you treat them civilly, right? Now, what happens if you catch a U.S. citizen plotting to overthrow a U.S. government? Do you treat them civilly? What is it called? It's called, say it with me, it's called treason. What is treason at the end of the day? You know what it is? It's a refusal to acknowledge what? Your debt. It's ingratitude. When you catch a U.S. citizen trying to overthrow a U.S. government, you're saying, don't really care. Doesn't really matter what I'm part of. And the crime for that is not just plagiarism. It's called treason. And people get what? Killed. No. Two human illustrations. Let's take it to the highest form. Follow me. What happens when you live your life saying, God, I'm the author. I'm the authority. God, I don't like the way you're driving my life. Get out of my seat. I got the wheel. What is that called? It's called cosmic treason. Underneath it all is ingratitude, refusal to acknowledge your debt that you are creation. He is creator. What happens when you go, I like those parts of the Bible. I don't like these parts. I like those parts. But these parts about sexual purity, that is so like 2000 B.C. <laughs> not really feeling that. I'm going to do my own thing. What happens when you go, God, I'm not going to really ask you, like my brother shared earlier today, I'm not going to really ask you what you want for today. I've got my list of agenda, and I need you to bless this today, okay? Thy kingdom come, let my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What happens when you go, God, I don't really need you to speak to these areas of my life because I'm in control. Do you know what that is? It's not just, you know, I'm being a bad, a bad Christian. The Bible says it's called cosmic treason and that the root of it all is ingratitude, which is a refusal to acknowledge what? Your debt. Why is this so huge? Because Paul says, if all of these things are a result of ingratitude, all of these things at the root of it is ingratitude. He says, the thing that brings about life, the things that brings about glory of God, the things that brings about changes in our world is a deep heart of gratitude. He's going, why is that so important? Listen, this is so hard for me. Because I know that the Bible says a ton of things that are very, very hard. I know it's hard to forgive people. It's hard to be generous with your money. It's hard to pour out yourself on the poor. It's hard to work for justice. It's hard to reconcile relationships. It's hard to do all kinds of things the Bible says. But it's not as hard as this command to give God thanks in everything, to be grateful. It's hard. 
But it's so important. Do you know why? Because everything in our lives is tied to this. Let me show you. Everything in our lives is tied to this. What do I mean? Do you have a hard time forgiving people? Do you know why we have a hard time forgiving people? Because we're not grateful enough for what he has done for us. We can't forgive people because we forget about the debt that we owed that he forgave. And we're not grateful. Are you following me? Do you know why gratitude is at the end of everything? Because if you have a hard time forgiving somebody to the degree that you're aware that he paid your debt, you're aware of what he's done for you, to where that you are grateful, will you be able to let go of the grudges? If you can't let go of the grudges, at the end of the day, no matter what we say, it's ingratitude. Do you have a hard time not worrying? Do you have a hard time being anxious? Do you know why we're worried and anxious? Because we've already forgotten what he's already done for us. Hello? I mean, for some of us, we're like, I should be dead by now. Have you forgotten what he has done for you? Gratitude. For some of us, we're still stuck on guilt and shame. Do you know why? Do you know why we struggle with guilt? The answer to our guilt is gratitude. What do I mean? The reason why we feel as bad as we do is because we're not stepping back and saying, I am grateful for the fact that he paid it all. He paid my debt. And in that, I am completely accepted and loved in him. Gratitude. Should I keep going? Do you see why the Bible says gratitude that comes from looking at the cross affects everything? Everything. So let me ask you a question. Are you grateful for everything? Francis Schaeffer said, love God enough to always be content with what he has brought into your life. Can I say that one more time? Love God enough to always be content with what he has brought in your life. If you're filled with the Spirit and the truth is shining, and your heart is filled with gratitude, and it's not some debtors that they're like, well, he's done for me, so I hope. No, no, no. It's about being awed by the gospel in such a way we go, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid it all. All to him I owe. And my heart bursts with gratitude. My heart bursts with joy. And I can look at the world and look at other people and go, how would I relate to that if I was truly grateful? How would I relate to that if I was truly grateful? How do you get filled with the Spirit? Andy, come on up. I have to tell you this before we move on. And we're done. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. I'll tell you how Jesus got filled with the Spirit. And I'll tell you how we get filled with the Spirit. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus has a fullness of the Spirit, and he has an experience. He's just bursting out with joy. He says, I... A Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. How was Jesus filled with the Spirit? Listen, guys, how was Jesus filled with the Spirit? First of all, first of all, notice what it says. Notice what it says. If you, if you, if you have an awareness that you are reaching out for God, have an awareness that you need God in your life, have an awareness, God, I need you desperately in my life, it's not because... You think that. What does the Bible say? It's because what? God first reaches out to you. It's because God reveals himself to you. It's because God reaches down to you. Part of the gospel. But who does Jesus say God reveals himself to? Did you notice? He says not to learn it. Not to the people who are wise in their own eyes. The people who say, look at my accomplice, look at my morality. The Bible says that God reveals himself to who? Little children. Spiritual metaphor for the weak, the helpless the ones who are willing to acknowledge God, I'm not strong, I'm weak. The ones who are willing to acknowledge God, I, I am morally bankrupt, God. The ones who are willing to acknowledge God, I am spiritually bankrupt, God. God, the ones who are willing to acknowledge God, I have nothing, nothing deserving of your acceptance of me. Nothing, God. It is to those, God says, that he reveals himself. What is Jesus looking at? Jesus says, I praise you, Father, because 
you're a God of grace. I praise you, Father, because you're a God of grace. I praise you, Father, because you don't divide the world between good people and bad people. That's what religious people do. But you divide the world between the proud and the humble. You divide the world between the strong and the self-sufficient. I'm all that and then some. And then the weak and the helpless. You divide the world between those who say, I've got all the things that would require you to accept me. And those who say, God, I've got nothing that would make you want to accept me. I come helplessly dependent on grace and grace alone. And Jesus looks at the gospel of grace and his heart is filled with joy. Do you know how you and I get filled with the Spirit? By going deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel of grace. Do you know what the gospel of grace says? Let it be solved. In Psalm 51, King David, beautiful poem, beautiful poetry. After he had committed adultery and murder, David prays, God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why does David pray that? Because he had sinned, adultery, murder. And he knows that God's Spirit is holy. He can't dwell with sin. David knew that his career as a king would be finished. He had sinned mightily before God. And yet out of desperation, David prays, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And amazingly, God doesn't. Centuries later, another person comes on the scene and they call him a descendant of David. They call him a son of David. They call him the ultimate king. They call him the ultimate David. His name is Jesus. And this Jesus is hanging on the cross He's hanging on the cross. And on the cross, this King David, the ultimate King David, prays what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The whole Bible is going to make sense for some of you right now. Why is Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is he saying? He is saying, Father, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Father, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't hide your face from me. Don't take your presence from me. Please don't do it. And God the Father takes the Holy Spirit away from the sinless David. When the sinful David cried out, take not thy Holy Spirit, God didn't. When the sinless David cried out, take not thy Holy Spirit, God did. you know why? For you and for me. So that in our times of desperation, when we pray, please don't take your Holy Spirit, God the Father says, I will never take your Holy Spirit because I abandoned my son in your place for it. That's why you and I will never have to have pray. Take not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going anywhere. Do you know why? Because of, say it with me, Jesus. 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 Is that good news? When that snaps in your soul, you too will be able to look up and say, Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, for you are a God of grace. And I come, not the morally strong and the accomplished, but I come like a little child asking your acceptance, not because I'm good, but because you're good. Not because of anything I've done, but because of everything you've done. How many of you need that to be real in your life today? I want you to stand up with me if you want that to be real in your life today. If you want that to be real in your life today. If you want that to be real in your life today. If you want that to be real in your life today.
as you're standing, I'm praying. You're praying. Thank you. As you're standing, I'm praying. You're praying. Right where you are, these marks of the Spirit are not things you strive after and you drive yourself to do. They're the result, you guys. Of being able to see clearly the gospel of grace. Radiate, warm your heart, warm your soul, friend. You can't force yourself to experience surging joy. You can't pump yourself up to be grateful in all circumstances. You can't discipline your way into mutual submission, man. That is a work of the Spirit when you see Jesus and what He's done. Do you need that in your life today? Then tell him. Tell him right now as you're standing. Tell him right now as you're standing, right where you are saying, Father, heaven and earth, will you make the gospel so real to my heart, so real to my soul? Father, help me to see not just a monster, but help me to see the creator God who is in charge of that monster. God, help me. Help me in my deadened, perhaps, and hardened heart to see the beauty, the wonder, the majesty, the glory, and the truth of the gospel. That I might see you and see you clearly for who you are until it begins to melt my heart, until it begins to soften my heart, until it begins to change my heart in ways that nothing else can. And if you feel led, put your hands out in front of you with your palms open. It's an acknowledgement of dependence. It's an acknowledgement of surrender. It's a symbolic way of saying, God, I come to you like a little child, utterly and desperately in need of your help. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and may he give you peace may he give you joy may he give you love may he give you kindness gentleness patience so that you could live out your life for his glory and for the world around you in the name of the father and the son and the Spirit, and all the God's people said, and all the God's people said, Amen! Have a great week!